Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. Some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone, you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. <laughs> Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. Today is Friday, December 17, 2021, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network, live in Atlanta, the 2021 Cricket Wireless Celebration Bowl. Uh, in less than an hour, uh, the Southwest Athletic Conference is going to have their Hall of Fame and banquet. We will talk with Commissioner Charles McClellan about their honorees, but also about the expansion the conference has undergone this year. We also will talk with the outgoing and the incoming commissioners of the MEAC Conference uh, as well. Also, a big announcement today. Uh, 
Crickey Wilders announced a six-year extension of them sponsoring the Celebration Bowl. Also, in today's news, Kim Potter testifies on her behalf uh, in the trial, uh, in her trial, uh, when she was uh, on trial for killing uh, Dante Wright. A lot of stuff we're going to be covering today on the show here in Atlanta, but also news of the day. Uh, folks, it's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Folks, we're here in Atlanta for the 2021 Cricket Wireless Celebration Bowl. We've been covering all the various events surrounding uh, this bowl game. Uh, it is the only FCS bowl game uh, that pits the uh, winners of the MEAC and the SWAT Conference against one another uh, for a uh, seven-figure payday. Lots of activities that, activities that have been going on uh, over the last uh, several days. We've been covering them uh, extensively uh, right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered, as well as the Black Star Network. And joining us right now is the commissioner of the SWAT Conference, Charles McClellan. Uh, glad to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. So this is um, a, um, uh, look, it, it's, it's a big deal for both of these conferences uh, to be able to have this bowl game, to be able to uh, generate the revenue for the conferences, as opposed to going to the FCS playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Southwestern Athletic Conference stopped going to the FCS playoffs back in 1999. We actually decided to have a championship game. The Bayou Classic really was the impetus for doing that because that game is always the week after. So oftentimes Southern and Gremlin were our best teams and they couldn't go. So the decision was made to have our championship game. So we were a little ahead of the MEAC in wanting the Celebration Bowl. And once they made that decision, I think neither conference has looked back. Uh, and uh, one of the things that when I talked with uh, Commissioner Thomas, he said it was real difficult to get his folks uh, to agree to that uh, because so many wanted to be a part of that playoff system. But he said, look, it's not making any money for us. Well, the playoff system is tough. And what a lot of people don't know about the FCS playoffs is that you have to pay your own way to go. And if you host you have to bid, and part of that money goes to the NCAA. So for most institutions, it's not a money-making opportunity. And then when you look at the overall competitiveness of it, quite often it was like the basketball tournament. The SWAC team and the MEAC team was always playing the number one team in the nation. You know, it's kind of tough to go to North Dakota State uh, from Lorman, Mississippi, and win a football game, right? So for us, we just did not feel that it made sense. Our record overall before 1999 was 0 and whatever, 0 and 16, 0 and 17. But when you start talking about the Celebration Bowl, when you start talking about pitting two champions against each other, that's going to go for the National College Black Championship. When you talk about a true bowl experience, and when you talk about the only two SES conferences that participate in a bowl system that was set up for FBS conferences, and then when you talk about ABC, there is no way in the world you could go back and look at the FCS playoffs and say 
that this opportunity is not as good or even better than the FCS opportunity. You also uh, had some expansion this year in your conference. Yeah, we did. We brought in Bethune-Cookman University and Florida A&M University, and part of the goal was not only to have a team here in the Celebration Bowl, but to get an at-large team into the FCS playoffs, and we were successful in doing that this year, where Florida A&M was selected to participate in the FCS playoffs. So you got the best of both worlds. We got the best of both worlds, and that was a part of the plan. But also, having those two teams uh, in your conference also expands your footprint to the state of Florida. Oh, no doubt. Uh, bringing in FAMU and Bethune was very instrumental in this overall success and fever that we're starting to feel in the Southwestern Athletic Conference. When you bring in two rapid fan bases, when you bring in two institutions that are the center of black college, you know, and to team them up with the 10 that we have, it was a win-win for both. And we're just ecstatic to be able to have those two. And SWAC, you know, we got a long ways to go, but I tell you, it's going to be a fun ride. How, how are you also positioning uh, this conference uh, for the future? Because what you're dealing with here is, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, the movement uh, of the Power Five conferences. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12. They go to the SEC. Uh, you're seeing uh, just, uh, just, just all of that going on. And so uh, how do you remain competitive uh, in this environment? Well, I think that's a great question. You know, you're talking about a conference that's been around for 100 years. You're talking about a conference, again, that has every major Division One HBCU college or university in its conference now, from Texas all the way to Florida. When it comes to black college athletics, we want to take the thing over and we want to insulate ourselves so we can generate enough revenue. You look at what Jackson State did. You know, they had championship game, 50,000. Alcorn State game, 60,000. The game before that, they had 55,000. If we can continue to put those numbers in there, fam, you sold out homecoming. Alabama A&M sold out homecoming. Alcorn sold out homecoming. Mississippi Valley State sold out homecoming. And now the sponsors and the corporate partners are coming in. We have increased our corporate sponsorship and partnership program by almost 6,000% from the time that we took over to now. And as you look at additional television opportunities, we think that we can compete with uh, some of the group of five institutions. As a matter of fact, from a revenue generation, we're three years away from out generating them from a revenue standpoint. So we think that we're very strong and very well positioned to be able to continue to carve out the footprint and change the landscape. And I think that's another point. We're not going to sit back and let the landscape dictate what we do. We're actively involved with the NCAA and the legislative process. We're going to change the landscape to benefit the Southwestern Athletic Conference. You also uh, have an opportunity, uh, the big news this week, uh, the number one football player in the country, choosing to go to Jackson State. That's a huge coup not only for the school, but also for the conference. Right. Name, image, and likeness. Now, if you go back and you check the uh, books, there were five conferences uh, that voted to change the name, image, and likeness legislation. So the NCAA put all of these committees together. And at the end, we took a look at it. It was the SEC, it was the Pac-12, the ACC, the Sun Belt, the SWAC, and one other uh, conference. And people asked me, why is the SWAC even involved with SEC? Your interests are not the same. Well, actually, they are. Uh, you look at what Coach Prime has done. You take his ability to be able to generate that corporate interest, and if name, image, and likeness, if it's good enough for you to get paid to go to the University of Florida, should be good enough for you to get paid going to Jackson State University. And we wanted the rules to be as flexible as possible because when you look at it, 
the state law takes precedent over everything, and mm -hmm. each state has different laws with different abilities. So we wanted the NCAA rule to be able to allow whatever the state rule is or state law is to be able to govern it. And I think it is going to open up eyes. I think that it's going to show that you can be a five-star, come to a Jackson State, get coached by a great coaching staff, get a name, image, and likeness deal, and be able to go pro. And that's the only reason why they're going to these Power 5 schools over to SWAC schools. So I think NLI kind of leveled the playing field, and it'll be our job to make sure that we continue to keep that playing field level. I think you're going to start to see more of a trend based upon that one decision. And I think, I think what this boils down to is when we talk about, you know, what's happening with, with uh, SWAC, with the MEAC, it's 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 the building it's the building blocks of of these institutions. You know, I'm always talking about how we have to uh, build the capacity of our black institutions. No question. And uh, Commissioner Dennis Thomas, you know, he's announced his retirement. We've had a lot of retirement talk today, and he seems happy. I'm sad, right? We're losing an icon. We're losing a voice. We're losing someone that is very instrumental. We're losing someone that has built all of this. So when you talk about expanding on where we are now, we're losing someone that's, you know, I don't think that can be replaced. Uh, Sonia Steeles, uh, myself, we're gonna work together to try to move this thing forward. Uh, and there's a lot of heavy lifting to be done by virtue of Commissioner Dennis Thomas leaving. Uh, in a little bit, you're gonna have your SWAC Hall of Fame uh, event. Absolutely, we're excited. We have eight individuals that we're going to uh, join a, a group of outstanding individuals. We're giving Dr. Dennis Thomas the Lifetime Achievement Award, and it's just an honor, honestly, to be Commissioner Roland. I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. I used to go to Mississippi Veterans Memorial Stadium and watch people play that I'm now handing awards to. And for, as Commissioner Thomas says, a little country boy from Mississippi, man, that's an awesome thing. All right, then. Well, look, certainly good luck. Uh, in what you're, what you're building here. Uh, again, I'm a, I'm a Texas a graduate, but I went to Jack Hayes High School and right across the street at Texas Southern University. Uh, so uh, I know, know a little bit about the SWAC right. uh, being with, with, with TSU uh, being right. there, and of course, Prairie View A&M being right down the road right. uh, from Houston as well. Well, you know, I am a Prairie View graduate. You know I was athletic director at Texas Southern. What you might not know is I'm a graduate of Texas A&M. Uh, as well. So know you, know your legacy very well. We've always been proud of you. We've adopted you as our son of Texas Southern University. A lot of people don't know that you graduated from Texas a and A lot of people out there think you graduated from Texas Southern. So keep doing what you're doing and we appreciate everything. I appreciate it. We'll do. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, all right, folks, so we're going to go to a break. We come back, we're going to hear from the outgoing uh, EMEA commissioner, but also uh, the sister who is taking his place. We'll also uh, show you uh, the announcement of Cricket Wireless announcing a six-year extension of them sponsoring this celebration bowl. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network, broadcasting live from Atlanta. Back in a moment.
Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going? Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered here on the Black Star Network. We're broadcasting from uh, the media room here. Uh, in Atlanta, with the 2021 Cricket Wireless uh, Celebration Bowl pitting Jackson State versus South Carolina State, the SWAC versus uh, the MIAC Conference. Uh, one of the things about uh, folks don't really understand most of these bowl games, they actually created the service that serve as tourism for cities. Uh, when you think about the Rose Bowl, when you think about the Orange Bowl, uh, the major bowls, that's really what the, uh, the system that was created. Uh, and so you talk about uh, the significant amount of dollars in terms of bringing people to a city. Uh, and so my next guest is responsible for uh, tourism coming to uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing pretty, pretty good. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's, talk, let's, go, let's get right into this because, look, uh, it, it is one thing to come here, but your job is trying to get people to come to Jackson. That's correct. Uh, how does this bowl game, the attention you receive, uh, how does that help the city? Well, it just raises the markability of Jackson University. And the home of Jackson State University is Jackson, Mississippi. We uh, experienced um, record numbers this year for an amazing football season, which really translated to about $30 million in economic impact for the city of Jackson. And so the better the team does, the better the city does. So we work really closely with athletics um, to bring, uh, make sure that the marketability is strong and that people can understand that we have a great school, a great football program, a great athletic program, but also a great arts, culture, and those other amenities that make people want to come and visit the city. And so when you talk about uh, that $30 million impact uh, with them selling selling those games out, we're talking about hotels, we're talking about restaurants, we're talking about all of, you know car rentals, all of those things. That's correct. You know, people, um, we sold out, the Metro Jackson area sold out, but we also sold out uh, as far as um, 60, 70 miles away. Um, we're talking about people going to gas stations and um, grocery stores and buying ice and, you know, liquor stores and, and restaurants and hotels and, and clothing stores. So it all, um, th this really makes our community understand and appreciate the value of tourism in a very significant way. Well, and, and we talk about that, we're talking about also helping black-owned businesses. That's correct. It really, um, it, it again, raises the marketability and value of HBCUs because um, traditionally, um, I know in our business, um, most of the attention has been on the PWIs, but now we have a HBCU that is bringing what, the color that everybody recognizes, and that's green. 
And so I'm uh, really excited about that and uh, working again with them to make sure that next year we can build up on that momentum and um, uh, let's do it again. Are you also seeing uh, Jackson and Mississippi businesses also embracing the university? Definitely, definitely. Um, so corporate sponsorships are, are much easier. In fact, they're knocking on Jackson University's door now. I had a conversation with the athletic director, and we've been a very strong corporate sponsor for a long time. He said, I'm not going to kick you out because you've been there when nobody else was there. So that's just an example of things that are happening. All right, then. Well, certainly uh, good, uh, good luck with that. And uh, as they say, uh, your business, uh, look, it's about, it's about incre increasing uh, the revenue flow. That's right. That's right. All right. Good luck. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. I want to go bring my panel right now, uh, folks. Uh, Michael Imhotep, host of the African History Network. Michael joins me right now for Roger Muhammad, a radio and TV host, and also Matt Manning, civil rights attorney. I'm glad to have you here. I'm going to start with you, uh, Michael. What we're talking about here, Michael, is the rebuilding of black institutions. I talked about this yesterday. It's capacity, capacity, capacity. That's what we're seeing with, with these two teams, with these conferences, uh, but also how it impacts the broader community of black-owned businesses. Absolutely, Roland. You know, and it's good to have you back as well. Uh, this is about building these teams, building these institutions, getting uh, people like Travis Hunter to Jackson State University. This this reminds me of when the Negro Leagues were being picked apart by Major League Baseball, and mm -hmm. a lot of the best players from the Negro Leagues were, were taken away from the majors. And now I, I think people are really primed to really understand that these, are, you know, many of our best uh, high school athletes <coughs> need to go to HBCUs, okay, need to go to HBCUs. And then you deal with, you, you just had the interview, we deal with the businesses that surround these institutions, especially African-American-owned businesses, being able to profit from people going to the games and things like this. So this is dealing with building up these educational institutions, but also economic empowerment when it comes to businesses around them as well. And, uh, you know, hats off to Deion Sanders uh, also. I, I think it's brilliant what uh, uh, Deion Sanders is doing also. You know, one of the things, uh, Faraji, that um, folks may not get. I mean, I'm sure there are people uh, who are watching this show who are saying, okay, all this attention uh, y'all are paying to, uh, to this bowl game, uh, it's a lot more important stuff that's happening in the black community. But this is what's happening in the black community. This is mm -hmm. the building of our institutions. And, and I think it's it, it, one of the things that frustrates me is when uh, too many of our people have a very small world view of what is happening in terms of how we are able to build institutions, to grow institutions. Uh, and so covering this, uh, bringing awareness to it is important because we've got to stop playing small ball. Right. Oh, you know, it, that's that's the big thing right there, Brother Roland. And I, and I love the conversation you just had before you with the commission, uh, not with the commissioner, with the other brother. Um, but you're talking about the fact that a lot of black institutions were born out of the frustration because white institutions and white platforms and white infrastructures did not accept us, whether you're talking about the church, whether you're talking about our political party, or whether you're talking about an athletic conference. It comes out of the fact that white people, if they bring us in, they bring us in at a lower amount, lower rate. If they bring us in, they want to usurp our talent. And so we have gotten to a place, and I think this is fantastic that we do talk about these things, 
because we have gotten to a place to show that, look, when you are frustrated, when dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction can be the fuel to bring about the change that you've been hoping and praying for. And so if, if folks don't see the, the, the power moves that are being made, one of our YouTube follow, uh, watchers said that, big power moves. If folks don't see the power moves that are being made in terms of taking black, black athletes, especially college athletes, where we know, Brother Roland, it was just, it felt like just yesterday where a black college athlete had uh, um, possession and power over his or her image, likeness, and, 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 and how they're going to use their brand, right? But for years, the NCAA has been just basically just, you, you know, just sucking the life out of black college athletes, right? Putting them on posters, putting them in commercials and all of that. And yet that black college athlete is, is kind of left in this predicament where they're not able to make money, where they're not able to, to really gain from all of the work that they've been putting in. And so, yes, this is necessary. And people say, well, it's just about sports. No, it's not just about sports. It's about empowerment. It's about, it's about money. It's about us saying that in this, in this space of sports and entertainment, we need to have some level of ownership. In this space of sports and entertainment, we need to dictate our own future. And that's the place that we're in right now. So it's awesome that we are having a celebration bowl. It's awesome that, that corporations are looking to, to fund this whole um, endeavor. But I, my hope is, Brother Roland, as, as you talk to the commission about, that we can bring, you know, large-scale Black-owned businesses into the fold, right, and not just have Coca-Cola or Cricket or any other person kind of just, just keeping folks at bay, but you bringing in those small Black businesses, bringing them into the conversations, bringing them at the table, so that way there can be full, complete community ownership of black people, you know, you have black athletes being supported by black businesses. I mean, this is the start of something fantastic. And Matt, that point there, when you talk about your HBCUs, the businesses that surround these institutions typically are black owned. When you talk about your restaurants, when you talk about uh, uh, your other businesses, and so when you have people coming back to those campuses, attending those games, uh, it is driving economic development for our community. It absolutely is. And as a Howard grad, I first have to say go MEAC. But I spent many, many a dollar at football games and otherwise at the businesses that were around um, Howard and that supported myself and all the other students. And it's beyond just the economic impact. Those business owners are the same people who checked to make sure I was doing my work in school and make sure I was going to graduate on time. So it is a, it's a community that's around these um, institutions. And the institutions really provide invaluable resources to the community, obviously beyond the educational impact, but also the, the economic impact. So it's a wonderful thing. But I got to say, go MEAC. <laughs> All right, then. Got to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk with uh, the retiring commissioner of the MEAC conference, uh, Dennis Thomas. Uh, this is next on Roller Martin Unfiltered, right here on the Black Star Network, live from Atlanta. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only have
I'm Eric Nolan. I'm Shantae Moore. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. We're joined now by the uh, retired commissioner of the MIAC conference, uh, Dennis Thomas. Uh, so you don't have to do all this stuff uh, next year, all of the uh, duties and events and news conferences, and you can just chill. Well, Roland, it, it'll be in good hands. Uh, Sonia Steele, the commissioner-elect, uh, is ready and ready, and she's going to do a absolutely fantastic job. Uh, you should also feel good uh, after today's announcement of the extension of Cricket Wireless for six years as a sponsor of this bowl. Absolutely. Uh, we are very pleased that corporate America has invested in, in HBCUs and in, in this bowl game. And it is absolutely critical that, that we continue to receive uh, the kind of investments from corporate America. Uh, are you getting uh, uh, calls and emails from some of your other peers saying, man, how in the heck did y'all pull this thing off? Well, um, I got calls in 2004 uh, when we first uh, uh, asked ESPN to invest in, in a bold concept that I brought to ESPN. And um, ESPN said, sign off on it. And then I went back to the, my membership and was very enthusiastic about it because I thought that this was absolutely the right thing. You thought it was a lock? Absolutely. And our membership said that... Uh, <coughs> That uh, pump your brakes a minute, Dennis. Uh, we we want to remain in the playoffs, and uh, so this is this is an absolutely tremendous opportunity that we need to take advantage of. Uh, we'll we have new revenue streams. We will get branding. We get promotion. We get marketing. You know, and we would also be able to recruit students, just not student athletes, to students. Give give us another platform for our student athletes and coaches. And so we worked for 10 years to, to bring this to fruition. And, and the kicker was, uh, was when I asked for an audience with John Skipper, who was the uh, president and CEO of ESPN. He granted an audience, and I asked him to come and talk to our presidents and chancellors, and he agreed to it. And then that's when we got traction. And finally, uh, the presidents and chancellors agreed to send our champion uh, to the postseason ball game. One of the frustrations that I've always had in my career is trying to get many of our black institutions to be ahead of the curve as opposed to being behind the curve. For you to sit here and for it to be a decade, uh, if you go back to it, that's a decade of revenue lost, a decade of opportunity. Uh, we saw with COVID, a lot of churches, they didn't want to do stuff online. They didn't care about it. Then COVID hit, they had no choice. Uh, I can tell you, conversations, I've run three black newspapers. Conversations that I've had with black publishers 20 years ago, and they're trying to do the stuff now. And, and that's one of the greatest frustrations I've always had, is, is trying to get our institutions uh, to, brace, to embrace going to the next level. I think that's accurate. And, and I know that the biggest challenge for the visionary is to get the people who will be effectuated to see the vision. And that is difficult because they can't see what you see. And But you got to go about a strategy to bring them along so they can actually picture what you actually see 
and say most people can see down the highway, but a visionary can can see around the corner where normal people can't see that. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. And you can't give up on your vision. Through all adversities, to all circumstances, you got to keep hammering away at it. Mm -hmm. Keep hammering away. And and, and I and I and I gain insights and I gain motivation from my forefathers and mothers. Because they had it worse than you or me. Mm -hmm. But they made it. They made it better for us. So my mindset is very simple. Don't give up on the vision because the people before you didn't. And you owe it to them not to give up. Where do you want to see the MEAC and the SPAC in this bowl, in this bowl game uh, 10 years from now? I want to see a sold-out stadium. I want to see Comfort America. Uh, continue to invest, and I want to see students all across the globe uh, seeing our institution as a viable option for an education. Not just see, this is bigger than a game. In my mind, it's bigger than a game, and you got to look at this from a holistic perspective. How does this how does this advance our messaging for all of our institutions? How does this advance our mission? And we have to and we must become more diverse if we're going to stay relevant. And we just can't be all black anymore. We still can maintain our mission, our goals and objectives, but we have to serve all of America in order for us to, to grow in order for us to sustain our stability, in order for us to be better uh, to corporate America and improve our value, not only to our community, but to our world. The, um, when you talk about leaving, what's the one thing you're gonna miss? Relationships. Uh, I got in this business to make a difference with student-athletes. And relationship with student-athletes has always been on the forefront. And developing student-athletes to be better people. And also, uh, you have to understand people talking about the, getting your degree, that's great, that's, that's the bottom line. But you have to be educated. A lot of people with degrees are not educated. <laughs> Okay? Now, you want to take that holistic approach where you are inculcating and imbuing uh, these students uh, to their fullest potential, God-given ability. Now, that's what we should all be about. And whatever that takes, then we have to have the right strategy to implement that. And that strategy different from campus to campus, from individual to individual. Now that's, uh, in Dennis Thomas' humble opinion, what we should be about. All right. Well, look, we uh, are looking forward to. Uh, <coughs> I'm sorry, you getting a lifetime achievement award from the SWAC, uh, the Hall of Fame. There, you've been honored by a competing conference. Uh, so uh, that, that's always a little well, different. Well, it's, it's, it's not a competing conference. I'm part of the MIAC. I, I I played in the MIAC. I was educated in the MIAC. Alcorn State University. 
I just happen to be the commissioner uh, of uh, of the MEAC. And but, so, but you do want the MEAC to win the game, Sammy? No question. <laughs> no question. And by the way, I'm happy you brought that up, Roland. You know, out of out of out of the uh, five bowls, celebration bowl, the MEAC won four. Of them. Okay. So, so you know, we, we kind of at ninety percent right now, you know. So, so all the people that say that, well, you know, the MIAC, uh, you know, they, they they not as strong this year as they have been. Well, that is yet to be seen, <laughs> and we'll let tomorrow determine that. So you say you got all the hype with Dion, but the championships with the MIAC. There's one thing about athletics, they keep score. <laughs> At the end of the day, to keep score. And whoever ends up with the most points, you know, wins the game. All right. So so talking the game ain't the game. <laughs> <laughs> Always good seeing you. We appreciate it. Good luck in retirement. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, and enjoy yourself. Thank you. All right, folks, we come back. We're going to show you some of the news conferences earlier of both of the coaches here uh, at the uh, 2021 Cricket Wilder Celebration Bowl. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Alexa. Play our favorite song again. Okay. Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. What's up, y'all? I'm Will Packer. Hello, I'm Bishop TDJ. What up, Lana Well? And you are watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered. <laughs> So we're here to announce uh, to you that uh, this year we're just announcing a new six-year extension for the Cricket Celebration Bowl to be hosted here at this beautiful 
uh, venue, uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We're delighted to be uh, partnered again uh, with the Mercedes-Benz Stadium family, and uh, our good friend Tim Zalowski and his team have been wonderful with us over the last six. And so announcing the new six-year deal here will bring the Cricket Celebration Bowl to a world-class venue uh, um, to showcase world-class talent on this wonderful stage. So just wanted to announce that to you today and turn it over to my friend Tim here for any additional comments. Uh, first and foremost, it is it is our pleasure to obviously announce what, uh, the six-year extension. John and, and the team at the Celebration Bowl and ESPN have been outstanding partners uh, with our organization, and it gives us um, great pride to host the first game in the College Bowl season each year with the Celebration Bowl uh, taking place here, the Cricket Celebration Bowl. So um, we set out at Mercedes-Benz Stadium to bring the best events from around the world to Atlanta. We function either as the heartbeat of Atlanta or if you come in here as a fan for any of our uh, events, uh, we try to welcome you home. And there's not a better way to do so than the partnership we have with uh, John Grant, the folks at ESPN, and the Celebration Bowl. So, John, thank you very much for the commitment you've had to our enterprise uh, for the next six years. We look forward to an exhilarating match uh, tomorrow um, uh, with, with a sold-out capacity and, and many more years of it to come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You got First of all, I'm thankful. I'm elated. I'm happy. I mean, unbelievably blessed week. Wonderful honor. This gentleman right here has been outstanding. When I tell you that this is really, truly a bowl game, uh, I was blessed to attend four bowls at my tenure at FSU. And this, if I say this is the best one, they're going to think I'm trying to hate on FSU, especially with the recent actions. But this has been a great, great, great bowl week. It's unbelievable. I can't wait, and I'm excited about the game. That's my opening statement. Appreciate all you for coming here. I really do. I appreciate it. I really do. I don't, I'm pretty sure we had not had this type of involvement in the past, and I'm, I'm thankful and I'm elated to to be uh, addition to provoke this type of change that we have, that we're seeing right now. Let's do this. Coach, we'll start in the back, standing up. Coach Sanders, uh, Tali Carr with HBCU Game Day back on the riser. Um, right here. here you go. Hey, how man. You Good. How, how are you doing, sir? Great, great. Uh, powerful week uh, with recruiting and uh, Travis Hunter, and just we've all seen that. I'm wondering for you, uh, the amount of power that that gave him and that he showed the country and the amount of power that Jackson State and other HBCUs are starting to show, what does it mean for you to be involved with people and a movement that becomes bigger than themselves and they start to see that power? Well, I'm pretty certain that this is why I'm here. I'm pretty certain this is why God led me to Jackson State University, to HBCU, to the SWAC. I'm, I'm pretty certain that's why. I, I tried to tell you. Everybody, nobody wanted to listen. You thought I was just just um, running the mouth. And it was not that. I truly believe. You know, we stand by that word. I believe and we truly believe that it's going to be a change. Everything I've done in my life, I provoke change. Why not now? You think I was just going to be a head coach and there's no change and we continue to do the same foolishness that, that we've done? We're not going to do that anymore. It's a systemic cancer that we got to get rid of we got to stop we got to stop we got to we got to change every darn thing that we can possibly do it this is a new kid this is a new generation this is a new thing 
and we got to be open to change. And that's all we've done at Jackson State with the help of our beloved uh, AD, Ashley Robinson. We provoke change in every aspect of the word. I was originally committed to FAU, and a couple weeks after that, that's when my dad got the job at Jackson State. So we was just walking around each other at the house, and I, I just got to the point where it was, pop, all right, Pops, talk to me. <laughs> like, what is it? So then we sat down, we talked about it. He he never recruited me doing it, though. Like, I was on the calls with the other coaches. I was already at the school, and then I just felt like it was the best uh, situation for me. And my whole um, recruiting process, I wanted to go somewhere and play right away. I'm not, I'm not going for go there, sit a year, learn from this guy, this guy. I feel like experience is the best thing in learning. So I knew where, regardless of wherever you go, you'll – have the attention and have the spotlight wherever. So I just felt like this was the best place and for our people too. Shador, can you explain in your own words what's special about the HBCU experience? I mean, you see it. You see just the fans, just like, just everything coming to fold now. Just, I just remember picturing walking to the empty stadium and just uh, looking around, just praying, like not knowing what, what the season has to come. And the magnitude of everything we're doing now, it just really shows that God's real. Shador, uh, you talk about the decision you made to come. You know, you were a four-star. You were the highest recruit uh, at that point. Um, now you guys just got uh, another young man that has uh, committed to you all who's mm -hmm. highly, you know, highly rated. Um, just talk about, um, you know, what it is. You know, you, you said you guys chose to come to Jackson State, and now he's chosen to come to Jackson State. What do you think it is that makes those young men who they're, they're – father isn't the coach what makes them want to come to Jackson State I mean just seeing how real it is I mean you guys the teammates it's not it's not a relationship with my pops where okay I get special treatment and stuff like that like I'm human too like I'm a regular player too so I feel like just the players and just teammates seeing how everything's so genuine and how down to earth our coaching staff and coaches is and they understand what it's like to be one of us in our situation thank you all for coming Appreciate you coming to check on us. We've been uh, going through a neat week here at uh, uh, the Celebration Bowl. I got to first thank all of the uh, sponsors, uh, all of the operational folks, starting with John Grant. Uh, John is the executive director of the Celebration Bowl. John has done a fantastic job of running this thing. I've been involved with other bowl games, and I can tell you that this is as well run as any game I've ever been associated with. The uh, sponsors, starting with John Dwyer, uh, from Cricket uh, Wireless, uh, the Coca-Cola folk, the De Delta came in there in Columbia, brought all their top-notch uh, people in and, and flew us in from, from uh, Columbia to Atlanta. That was a a fun little trip. It was kind of fun in a way because, I mean, we we bust the Delaware. <laughs> I mean, so <laughs> you come back and, and take the plane to Atlanta. You know, it was uh, it was truly an exciting kind of opportunity that way. So we've we've got to thank all of the folk that are involved here with the Celebration Bowl and say that it was truly a pleasure to be a part of this particular fair this way. And we look forward to seeing if we can come out on Saturday and. Uh, and, and play against these uh, Jackson State Tigers. Everybody knows Jackson's the favorite. We all know that they've got Dion and all of his highfalutinists and all the different kinds of stuff. I was a fan 
uh, when he was uh, playing for everybody, um, for two teams. He played football, basketball, and baseball, and track, and golf, and all that kind of stuff at the same time. So the guy, you know, is probably the, uh, I guess, maybe top all-around athlete maybe of all times as far as I can remember doing our generation here. So the guy's been fantastic as far as, as far as his uh, uh, athleticism and his play and all these different – and then on top of that, then the guy comes in, you know, and makes the coaching game look easy. Uh, he's been here for one less than a year, and he's won all the top awards. We've been, I've been coached for 45 years and hadn't had, you know, some of these, opera, some of these uh, uh, accolades and stuff of that kind that he's had. So it's been a fun uh, run to see him rise to the top of the way, and he's done a little bit for us all. Uh, I gotta be honest and say that I'm sure some of the numbers that we've have as that we've had as far as the uh, record ticket sales and that kind of stuff are somewhat, uh, I guess, dependent upon the fact that you know that he's got there doing what he does. But uh, South Carolina State folk has have done a nice job themselves. We've uh, been extremely excited about this thing. The build up from the time that we won our conference to now you know, has been tremendous in the way that our fans have, 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 have gotten excited about and done, you know, a great job of, uh, of coming together and being a part of this thing, too. So I'm looking forward to seeing our fan base uh, out there against their fan base, along with the fact that our team is going to be against their team. Our band is going to be against their band. So this is going to be a fun experience for us all. So I'm looking forward to this and, and many, many more celebration bowls to come because I think we've got something here. I think we've got a model that might be good as ever. Y'all ready for me to shut up, Rick? No, yeah, I know y'all. Okay. <laughs> All right, folks, when we come back, we'll talk with the winner of the Jerry Weiss Award for the best player in the FCS, Shadur Sanders, the first HBCU player to actually win that award. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Alexa. Play our favorite song again. Okay. I only Got the ass got on, he do the news. It's fancy news. Keep it rolling. Right here. Rolling. Rolling Martin. <laughs> right now. You are watching Roland Martin. Unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really? It's Roland Martin. Well, 
next guest is not just the son of the head football coach, he's also the starting quarterback. And uh, this week uh, found out that he is the winner of the Jerry Rice Award for the best player in the FCS. The first time HBCU player has won that award, named after uh, HBCU great from Mississippi Valley State, uh, Shooter Sanders. How you doing, Doc? Doing good. How are you? So how's that feel being the, being the first one? I mean, first is named after Jerry Rice. Yeah, I mean, who else could have won it? <laughs> Who else could have won it? You saw uh, what I did out there. You saw the numbers I put up and really the team. So you see what team I got around me. Have you heard from Jerry Rice? He was he did, he did was a teammate of your dad's yeah, in San Francisco. Yeah. I spoke with him in the past. Talk about this season and how it's gone. 11 and one season, a uh, lot of hype, a lot of attention, and uh, the fan base has really embraced uh, what y'all have been able to do. I feel like it's a pretty uh, darn good season to me um, offensively. We're... Um, we're putting up numbers. We could be doing more defensively. You see what you see with that side of the ball. You see that it's very teams are having trouble scoring on them. So I feel like overall it's a good it's a good time. It's a good year, and you see just the media around HBCU football now. A lot of um, a lot of times you'll have uh, quarterbacks who might uh, disagree. Uh, with uh, their coaches. You're in a unique situation because when you look to the sideline, it's not just a head coach, but it's also dad. Yes, sir. Uh, so do you, uh, and so, and so what's that relationship been like as well uh, in terms of when it comes to, when it comes to game day? I mean, he's been my coach for, for my whole life. We're, we've been doing the same thing in high school. We won a championship in high school all four years. So it's nothing new. It's just like, we're just doing history again. Well, that's always also, still also a little bit different uh, because you also, uh, the whole dynamic of other players as well, uh, having a dad and a coach. It's not, not the first time you've had uh, players that have been coached, coached by their father. What, what do you want people to know uh, about uh, your dad as a coach? They, they, they see prime time. They see the player. They saw, the, they saw you, know, you know, him when he was in the NFL. But what should they know about him as a coach? I mean, you could tell he's a genuine person. He's going to tell you straight up. Uh, the real you going you here at the HBCU. He's not gonna lie to you about anything. So I feel like he understands what situation we're in, and like just as students of the school. So he been through that before too. He went to college. He did all that. So he's more realistic and he's very reasonable. Well, and and also as somebody who's played at the highest level, uh, considered the greatest cornerback uh, to play in the NFL. Uh, so I take it uh, when it comes to your defense, listening to him, they probably listen a little bit more intently uh, based upon their track record. No, I feel like everybody listens to him. It's not just a defensive thing. It's just like offense. We just gotta get going. That's all it is. We just gotta put up more yards, put up more numbers. Defense is just they got more experience on that side of the ball. I talked to South Carolina State coach a couple of days ago, uh, and he said uh, the strength of our team is our defense. He said so uh, they should expect a strong test come Saturday. I mean, hey, uh, I feel like in the SWAT we play, we play good defense a week in and week out. Now, I just talked to Commissioner Dennis Thomas. He did remind me of the five celebration bowls. The Miek has won four of those five. I mean, nobody else is doing numbers how we do. You see it's a new thing. You see it's a new year. You see everything's different. So you said y'all look, look at the change, that trajectory uh, in the past as opposed to uh, SWAT coming to this game and not, not taking the title home. I mean, this is the thing. We're not, we're not just living in the past. It's a new day. You see the fans. You see we're on Sports Center every week. You see, you see the difference. We don't have to talk about it. You see it. So obviously you feel like the outcome is going to be the same how it is the year before. 
that's just something you're just going to have to think. How has it been looking up on those stands? Uh, we showed the video where you, uh, from earlier today. You talked about uh, going to going to some games and seeing a lot of empty seats. But this year, uh, seeing uh, a lot of those seats filled yeah. uh, for the first time. Oh, it's amazing when you got when you got uh, the vet packed with all of our people. It's it's a different feeling. It's something that um, I've been in a lot of college football games, really just on visits and everything. But this is different. You go, you come out during halftime. You see a thousand people on the field. It's the band, everybody, Jay sets everybody. So it's just a real different experience that I feel like a lot of kids in our culture need to understand and need to uh, see how it is. Do you also uh, believe that folks in Jackson State not only uh, are waiting for halftime, but they're also waiting for y'all to come out in the second half? Because one thing you hear a lot of HBCU fans are like, yeah, okay, one second half comes. You know, it's always about the halftime performance as opposed to the, what's happening on the field. Um, I don't really think you say that about our team. Yeah, I feel like we're entertaining throughout the whole game. Okay. Well, look, it's going to be a great game tomorrow. Uh, of course, on ABC, uh, national audience. Uh, it's not going to be on ESPN or one of the digital channels. Uh, only one of four bowl games that's going to be on, on broadcast. And so the whole country actually gets to see uh, what uh, what you can do and what South, South Carolina State can do. Yes, sir. All right. We're looking forward to it. Uh, so good, good, good luck at tomorrow's game. Thank and give them hell. Yes, sir. All right, then. Folks, uh, Again, we're going to come back. Uh, we're going to talk uh, some news of the day. Kim Potter testifies to her trial in Minneapolis. Also, uh, noted author, feminist Bill Hooks passed away. We'll also talk about that as well. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network, live in Atlanta, the 2021 Cricket Wireless Celebration Bowl. <laughs> Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Hello, everyone. It's Kiara Sheard. Hey, I'm Taj. I'm Coco. And I'm Lily. And we're SWV. What's up, y'all? It's Ryan Destiny. And you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
A couple days ago, acclaimed author and a feminist, Bell Hooks, passed away at the age of 69. Of course, her real name was Gloria Jean Watkins. She took her name uh, as uh, a testament uh, not to her uh, grandmother. She, of course, focused on topics about feminism and race. She won a number of awards, including the Writer's Award from Lila Wallace, Reader's Digest Fund, was named one of the nation's leading public intellectuals for the Atlantic Monthly, also was inducted into the Kentucky Writers Hall of Fame. Uh, joining me now is Dr. Imani Perry. She's a professor of African-American studies at Princeton University. Dr. Perry, glad to have you uh, on the show. Uh, for folks who don't know about mm -hmm. Bell Hooks, uh, who don't know about uh, her writing, why was she so impactful, especially to uh, a whole generation, two generations uh, of black women? Many of them were commenting uh, just shocked and stunned at the passing of Bell Hooks. Yeah, um, well, first of all, let me say thank you for having me and thank you for spending the time to talk about her. She was an incredibly brilliant woman, um, an author of literally dozens of books. She resonated with people because she bega she she wrote from the position that she began. She was a, a country woman. She was from Kentucky, and she became an extraordinary intellectual. And through those experiences— decided to share with people how she thought about gender, how she thought about sexuality, how she thought about class, how she thought about injustice broadly. Um, her writing was inviting. It wasn't, you know, um, distant academic language. She, she reached for people where they are, where they were. Um, and she also, and this is really important, I think, for our communities in particular, she wrote about love. And she wrote about spirituality. And so she really thought that the work of the intellectual was to tend to the entire person and to the entire community. And when we talk about, um, again, when I saw the reaction from so many mm -hmm. people, they, they just talked about uh, the power of her writing and how she centered uh, black feminism. Uh, that's yeah. something that uh, it wasn't an afterthought. It, w it was the center of, yeah. of everything she wrote about. Yes. I mean, black women were at the center of her calling. She took the name of her great-grandmother and, and put the name in lowercase to, to <coughs> emphasize. She was interested in we, us, collectively, our people, our community, black women's legacies in particular. But she didn't, for her, that was an entry point to thinking about the entire world. So for her, black, being a black woman wasn't limiting. It was actually a perspective from which one could understand the world in extraordinary ways. Um, but you always, when you opened her book, you knew that you were being seen, that you were being recognized, and that you were important as a black woman reader. But she, but I also think it's really important to say she also, she loved black men dearly, and she talked about wanting to tend and care for black men as well. We're bringing my panel, Michael M. Hotep. I want to start with you, your thoughts on Bell Hooks, and also if you have a question for Dr. Imani Perry. All right, thanks, uh, Roland. Thanks, uh, Dr. Imani Perry, for coming on today and teaching us more about uh, Bell Hooks. Uh, yeah, this is a big loss as well. She yeah. wrote 40 books, books translated into 15 different languages. Uh, I posted about uh, her death on the African History Network uh, fan page. The question I had... Um, Dr. Monty Perry, and I know you're the person to ask this too. When we deal with and hear about feminism or black mm -hmm. feminism, oftentimes it, it, African-American men are automatically off-put by it. And this mm -hmm. has caused uh, factions in the movement for uh, issues pertaining to African-Americans. How do we 
continue to push for uh, issues that are beneficial to African Americans, while at the same time not denouncing African American women when they talk about issues that are specifically that specifically impact them. Oftentimes, right. when they bring up issues that impact them, they uh, they're told that they're being divisive, and you should just focus on black issues, not black women issues. How do we move forward? Together. Well, that's a hard, right. That's a hard question to answer. I mean, I think Gloria, and I called her Gloria instead of Bell Hooks, I mean, when she wrote the book Feminism for Everybody, she was trying to respond to that. Um, I think, you know, my perspective is I think black liberation is for all black people. And so one of the ways, so, so we shouldn't think of our, our interests as competing, but we should think every sector of our community deserves to be tended to. Um, and that there is no hierarchy in our communities, that we all deserve care. I mean, if any, if there is one, it is our babies come first, right? And so, um, you know, so that's the ethos. I, I, I understand there are a lot of um, sort of tensions that we, we are a complex people. We have differing politics. We have different perspectives. We're not going to all agree. We're not going to have the same idea about liberation. But I do think if we start from the perspective that we care about all members of our communities, that that helps. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Faraji? Oh, I can't hear you. Faraji, we can't hear you. Gotcha. Dr. Perry, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Um, I'm I'm wondering, in terms of um, Bell Hook's legacy, you know, what would she say to black men today about getting involved in the feminist movement, or what roles should black men play in the feminist movement? Because I, right. I'm, and I'm, I'm sure that you, you've heard this. It seems like there's a generation of black men, younger black men, that have very different views about the role of women, the role of men, um, whether it's in the household, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in a community. So, so how would Bell Hooks advise us to move forward on making sure that the next generation of black men aren't, you know, is a part of the change to bring about a greater level of respect for black women? Well, I mean, I think, and, and I, feel, I feel pretty confident saying this because, you know, I, I spoke to her um, over the last several years, and everybody, you know, changes and grows. But I, I think consistently what, what she tried to talk about was being aware of the very particular kinds of oppressions that all folks in our community experience. So you, it's hard to, um, you know, ask people to join a movement without also recognizing what they're experiencing, right? How they might. So I think mm -hmm. for young black men, in the ways that young black men are targeted and demonized, right? That has to. That's also part of the struggle for liberation. And she was very attentive to that. So. It's not a sort of, you know, bring you into one side. It's actually bring us all into recognizing each other. Now, that mm. said, she didn't shy away from challenging sexist attitudes and ideas um, in ways that not everybody liked all the time, but in ways that people found difficult. But this is why I mentioned the point about love, right? So if love is the, is the underlying ethic to everything that you do and people know that you love them... <laughs> That makes it a lot easier to accept pushback, criticism, when you know that it's mm -hmm. not coming from a place of competition or hostility, but love. And so, you know, this is it's but it's an it's a long struggle. You know, we've had a hard, hard history, so it's not ever going to be easy, but it's worth fighting for. And that's the lesson she taught us. It's it's <laughs> worth fighting for. 
Thank you. Matt Manning. Good evening, Dr. Perry. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, for teaching us. Uh, my question is just, it's pretty simple. How do we connect Ms. Hook's teachings to this uh, social moment that we find ourselves in, kind of this inflection point as we're fighting for justice? Uh, please, if you would, edify us on how yeah. we can, can use her teachings to kind of move forward at this this point. Well, I would say, I think, you know, I do think that, that reading um, is, you know, I, I love Ida B. Wells' quote, that people must know before they can act. I think reading is a, should be a ritual practice for all of us because we learn, we become more insightful. But I also think, you know, I think in the words of Ella Baker, you know, the tribe increases, we carry on. So part of the lesson is to read and learn from her and from many others and then develop our own analyses, right? And try to work together in the now, right? We have this incredible array of ancestors who provide models and who provide insight, but but we are also now we're here. We're here, and then we're now we are the ones to continue the work, um, and understand that it's a it's lifelong work. We're not going to solve these things, but we can make a significant difference. Thank you, Dr. Perry. If that was one book of bell hooks that everyone should read, what would that be? <sighs> oh mm. gosh, that's a really hard question when you're talking about dozens of books. Um, I particularly love yearning, and I also love teaching to transgress because I think about children all the time, and that book really is really about how do we see ourselves um, as people who who offer knowledge to young people who think that they are the future. So, yeah, that would be the one, I guess. All right, then. Dr. Yamani Perry, we surely appreciate you uh, joining us to share your thoughts regarding the passing of uh, author Bill Hooks. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Folks, going to a break, we come back. Kim Potter testifies on her behalf in her trial in Minneapolis for killing Dante Wright. Lots of tears on the stand. We'll show you what took place right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going? Hey, I'm Donnie Simpson. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs> 35-year-old Deandra Chalmers was last seen walking near the Parkland Hospital on November 29th in Dallas, Texas. Deandra is 5 feet 9 inches tall, weighs 180 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a black sweater and black pants. If anyone knows of Deandra's whereabouts, please contact the Dallas Police Department Missing Persons Unit at 214-671-4268, 214-671-4268. 
today in Minneapolis. Uh, the former Brooklyn Center police officer on trial for family shooting, Dante Wright, took the stand on her behalf. During direct examination, Kimberly Potter told the jury she did not realize she had fired the gun instead of her taser during the April traffic stop until Wright cried out that he had been shot. With Officer Lucky and the driver at the door, um, the driver was trying to get back into the car. Uh, well, he was trying to get back in the car. What did you do? I went around Officer Lucky as they're trying to get back in the door. I'm between the door and Officer Lucky and, and the driver. And the driver's getting into the car. And what happened next? They're still struggling, and I can see Sergeant Johnson and the driver struggling over the, the gear shift because I can see Johnson's hand, and then I can see his face. And you, you knew Johnson for many years before this, is that right? Yes. And by looking at his face at that point in time, what did you interpret it to mean? He had a look of fear on his face. It's nothing I'd seen before. Did you say anything when you saw this? What did you do? We were struggling. We were trying to keep him from driving away. It just, it just went chaotic. I, it. And then. I remember yelling, taser, 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 and nothing happened. And then he told me I shot him. Can you proceed or do you? Yes. Uh, on Mr. Wright, did you? No. Never saw a gun? No. He never threw a punch? Right? No. Never kicked anyone? No. Never said, I'm going to kill you? No. Never said, I'm going to shoot you? No. Never said, there's a gun in the car and I'm coming after you? No. Okay. It's not uncommon in your experience to find someone who has a warrant during a traffic stop, right? It's not uncommon. And you've done hundreds, hundreds of traffic stops in your career, correct? I don't know if hundreds, but yes, I've done plenty of traffic stops. And, and gross misdemeanor offenses are not the same as felony offenses, fair? Correct. They're Third. a different order by the judge. Less crime. serious crimes, correct? All crimes are serious, but yes. Well, in terms of the laws of the state of Minnesota that you're duty-bound to enforce, a gross misdemeanor is a lesser offense than a felony, correct? Yes. In, in court in this case, a conversation about uh, the Wright brothers. You made a comment about the Wright brothers joking about not the ones that fly, right? Yes. Um, and then any concerns about whether there was some other right family in the area, Sergeant Johnson told you, not that family, not this situation, right? I wasn't sure who they were. Okay. Your aide 
and communicate information to other officers, right? Yes. And it's part of your job to assist those who are hurt or injured, true? Yes. And to communicate to other officers what you know about a particular scene, right? Yes. Give them whatever information you can to help them do their jobs, to help render assistance, things like that, right? Yes. But you didn't do any of those things on April 11th, did you? No. You stopped doing your job completely. You didn't communicate what happened over the radio, right? No. You didn't make sure any officers knew what you had just done, right? No. You didn't run down the street and try to save Dante Wright's life, did you? No. You didn't check on the other car that had been hit, did you? No. That all happened just down the road from you. Yes. You were focused on what you had done, because you had just killed somebody. Right? I'm sorry it happened. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Ms. Potter, from your reaction today, and from your reaction on your video, you didn't plan to use deadly force that day, did you? You didn't want to use deadly force, did you? The objection is overruled. No! No! Because you knew that deadly force was unreasonable and unwarranted in those circumstances. I didn't want to hurt anybody. You didn't want to hurt anybody. And that's why you said, I'm going to go to prison. I don't. <laughs> All right. The objection is sustained. Ms. Potter, you know the difference between left and right, don't you? All right, Matt Manning, I want to start with you. I mean, is there a plausible defense? Oop, my bad. A little bit, to an extent. But I'll, I'll tell you this. Let me first say, everything in a courtroom is intentional. Uh, for all your viewers out there, they have her dressed this way purposely. Mm -hmm. I'm sure her attorneys told her, if you get emotional, do not stop, you know, crying. Um, all of those things are, unfortunately, what lawyers try to leverage in front of a jury. And here, if you look at the picture, they've made her look as, uh, as homely, and I mean no disrespect, but as homely, as maternal, as accessible. We're talking Minnesota, right? So this is all intentional. And I say that in support of saying, if you notice, she didn't even use Dante Wright's name. She continued to say right. the driver. I guarantee you her attorneys want to depersonalize Mr. Wright and make it seem as though she's just a good officer doing her job. But I would say here, the tears are for fears. They're to try to impart to the jury the idea that she was so afraid for that a couple things are happening. One, she was afraid for her own safety. But the ancillary thing is that she was afraid for the safety of this other officer. They're trying to establish a defense of third person defense that'll essentially say, even if she wrongfully shot him, she's within the bounds of the law because she had a reasonable apprehension that her other officer was going to be hurt. Now, we know that's cockamamie because, in fact, she reached for the wrong weapon, which is absurd if you've had 26 years of training. But in terms of making people think, there is, I think, a chance that at least one juror 
will, you know, potentially bite that argument. And that's what viewers need to know. In the criminal justice system, a conviction has to be unanimous. So they can get a hung jury off one person buying what we're seeing here, which I think is a, a pretty good acting job, but it's all intentional. And that's very important for people to know that I think that's the defense they're going for. They're trying to attack the intentionality, which is why you hear her saying so frequently, I didn't mean to do it. You know, it wasn't purposeful, trying to say it's an accident. And even if it isn't an accident, it's okay because I feared for my other officer's safety. That's what you're seeing at play here. The issue, the issue here, Faraji, is, oh, I didn't mean to do it, but somebody is dead as a result of her actions. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, that's, that's the big issue. But I, I'm wondering how much does the part of her screaming out, taser, 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 will play into this? I mean, we, and Matt, I think you're making up some excellent points saying that from everything, the way she's dressing and, and to the emotion. But, I mean, the part that she says, taser, 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 I can't personally get past that. I I'm wondering if that is going to be a, you know, like the Achilles heel of this case where she's not going to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law because she announced taser even though she reached for her service re revolver, her service weapon. So I'm, I'm wondering, you spoke about intentionality, the intention behind this whole situation. The intention seems to be a huge part of this whole case, because she said taser, you can clearly hear it on, on the uh, on the video, but then at the same time, as the uh, prosecutor said that you know you didn't reach out for the other folks, you didn't see what happened to Dante Wright, you didn't see what happened to the other cars. I mean, the intention is certainly a big part of this, but that one little piece where she says taser, 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 I'm thinking that just might be a situation that to to give her just a little leadway in the in the minds of those jurors. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I, we, we have dealt with, and we've talked about it endlessly on this show, many cases where there have been those small lines, small details that have often been kind of like over, you know, disregarded. But in this case, I, it's, it's still hard for me to see that there's going to be justice served for the family of Dante Wright just because she yelled out, taser, taser, taser. Matt? Brother Roller, am I wrong on this? May I have well, permission to respond? Well, also, it's just so sick. Yeah, yeah, Matt, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say really quickly, uh, I think that's a, a great question, but I think the intentionality here is precisely the issue insofar as that's what she's saying. I was trying to reach for my taser. I didn't have the intent to do this act that actually caused his death, is what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, what her defense attorneys are trying to attack, uh, because generally homicide statutes, manslaughter statutes are going to have an intentional element. And that's exactly what they're lobbying for. Not only was this not intentional, however, even if it was intentional, she had a defense of third person statute uh, or defense. And the way that works very quickly is generally you're entitled to a defense if there's a scintilla or a very small amount of evidence showing that you should get an instruction in a jury charge, which is why they asked her all those questions about the other officer on the other side of the car. That's what you're seeing them try to establish right now. Mm. The thing here, uh, Michael, um, that when you watch this, her attorneys have mm -hmm. already laid the groundwork by saying, oh, if she's found guilty, they want the judge to sentence her and not the jury. 
But we also right. know in many of these cases, juries give the police officers extreme, I mean, extreme benefit of the doubt. And so it's not mm -hmm. clear cut that she's going to be convicted in this case. No, it's not clear cut. Now, the prosecution did a really good job today. And as I said before in the show last Friday, I knew she was going to break down crying on the witness stand. Uh, they had to dress like a soccer mom today to uh, uh, to get some sympathy also. But, you know, what's really it's a number of things that are really damaging the the body cam footage of of what happened right after she shot Dante Wright. She said, uh, I'm going to prison. She said, I killed a boy. She didn't say anything about fearing for her life. She didn't say anything about trying to protect other officers, anything like that. She said, holy sugar, honey, sugar, honey, iced tea, I just shot him. She said, I grabbed the wrong effing gun. I shot him, okay? But then the, the prosecution today went on to talk about how, so, you know, after Dante Wright was shot, the car drove off, he hits another car. Uh, when other officers arrive on the scene, uh, Officer Kim Potter didn't tell the other officers exactly what happened and did not try to render aid to Dante Wright either, who was down the street and crashed into another car. So, yeah, this, you know, a lot came out today, and we know the defense uh, rested today as well. So uh, it's not clear cut that she's going to be convicted, but the prosecution did a good job. I really don't think uh, a lot of her testimony today really helped her. Mm. The tears did help, but the well, testimony uh, is different than the tears. Well, uh, well, guess what? Uh, jury, juries can be very emotional in terms of what mm -hmm. they buy. And as Matt said, all you need is yes. one to say yes. uh, not guilty. So we'll be following this mm -hmm. to its conclusion. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back more on Roland Martin Unfiltered right here from the Black Star Network. President Joe Biden speaks to South Carolina State for commencement today. We'll show you some of what he had to say. Back in a moment. Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. 
Well, while we are here in Atlanta for the 2021 Cricket Wireless Celebration Bowl between South Carolina State and Jackson State, President Joe Biden was actually speaking at the at the South Carolina State commencement today. Uh, Congressman Jim Clyburn, who's a graduate of South Carolina State, did not walk across the stage uh, when he uh, finished uh, it uh, a number of years ago, but got a chance to do so today. And, of course, you know, it was paid back by having Biden come back and speak, considering it was uh, Clyburn who made it possible for him to win the uh, nomination. Here's some of what Biden had to say. Anything like the unrelenting assault on the right to vote. Never. I don't think any of you have on this stage ever seen. Not a joke. And folks, you know, as John Lewis said, it is the only, without the right to vote, there is no democracy. It's not just about who gets to vote. Or making it easier as we used to try to do to make people eligible be able to vote. It's about who gets to count the vote. Whether your vote counts at all. Folks, I was chairman of the Judiciary Committee for a long time. At the end of my stint before I became vice president, I was able to pass the extension of the Voting Rights Act for 25 years, and guess what? And convince Strong Thurmond of South Carolina to vote for it. No, no, not a joke. I thought we're finally, finally, finally beginning to move. But this new sinister combination of voter suppression and election, subver election subversion is un-American. It's undemocratic, and sadly, it is unprecedented since Reconstruction. Vice President Harris is leading the efforts for us, but on the anniversary of Bloody Sunday, I directed every single federal agency in the United States government to promote access to voting, and each agency is heading and heeding the call. HBCUs have helped produce 40% of all the black engineers in America. 50%. 50% of all the black lawyers in America. 70% of all the black doctors and dentists in America. 80% all the black judges in America. Folks, I see HBCU excellence every single day in my administration, and that's not, not exaggerated. Vice President Harris, my cabinet, Michael Reagan, Administrator of the EPA, senior White House staff, staff across my entire administration, graduates, I'm here to congratulate you, but also to let you know your country, this is not hyperbole, is counting on you. They're counting on you to change, to turn the dial at a moment we have a chance to do it. And that I'm committed to doing everything I can to make real the promise of America for all Americans, for all of you. That's why my administration has delivered $5 billion so far to HBCUs just this year. Just this year. And more to come. Because there's nothing you're unable to do if you have the product, if you have the laboratories, if you have well, a lot of these HBCUs aren't endowed like these other universities. 
Okay, that all sounds great, Faraji, uh, talking about the importance of democracy and the right to vote, but the reality is this year. Uh, they have not passed the For the People Act. They have not passed the John Lewis Act. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer insists this is going to get done by 2022. The reality is Republicans are moving forward quickly with these voter suppression bills, and they are going to, they are desperately trying to lock in their advantage, which is also political gerrymandering, for the next decade. President Biden has got to do more than just give speeches. Oh, absolutely. And, and the, one of the things that just stuck out for me in just in that clip, Brother Roland, is the fact that he said that we're counting on you. Look, the president, you know, to the president, you know, respectfully, no, sir, you can't, you can't put the onus and that burden on us because guess what? Black people come out to vote. We've been voting. We voted for the Democratic Party, and we've just been voting in the system for many years. And the next generation of, of, of college students have been voting as well. We saw that in President Obama's election. No, we're counting on you to get on, to get on track with where we are trying to go. Um, and it's all good. Yes, you can say you can boast $5 billion to HBCUs, but HBCUs are the infrastructure is crumbling and the resources are, are drying up. So $5 billion is good, is a good start. But these HBCUs, if you want to just... There's a difference between managing and then actually putting money to take this thing to the next level. And so HBCUs need more support. I mean, they need a, a it's like a mandate every year that they're going to get billions of dollars, just as much as we do other colleges, just as much as we do countries like Israel and other places. There needs to be that level of mandate and that level of commitment. The final point is, is that, look, what, what are you asking us to do in this moment? If, if, the, if there's a stall in the Congress, if there's a stall between Republicans and Democrats, then what do you expect the people to do? We came out in full force in the streets last year to push for the George Floyd Policing Act. Guess what happened? Nothing. We got a lot of talk, but nothing even happened. I mean, we can all bear witness to the simple fact that that bill needed to be passed. So what I'm hearing from the president is just a lot of rhetoric. And it's not leading to any real change. And then at this point, we got to ask ourselves. There was a there was a fantastic opinion piece that was um, that was uh, in the New York Times called "How to Tell When Your Country Is Past the Point of No Return" by Mr. Thomas Edsall. And Mr. Edsall said, "Look at what the Republicans are doing. Look at where democracy is in this state of the country. The polarization, the partisanship." That's stuff that's happening right there at the executive level. Mr. President, what are you doing about that? Are you using your bully pulpit to push things forward that you know that is going to be best for young black people coming out of these HBCUs? No, no, no. We don't need, you don't need to count on us. We need to count on you. We need to see that you're going to come through on the promises that you said you're going to do. If you say you're serious about about making sure that we're doing what we need to do, then guess what? We need to see it. Not just talk about it. We need to see it. That way we can feel it in our actual lives. But Michael, the reality is when it comes to HBCU funding, the reality is uh, they have got received over the last 18 months a significant amount of money, loan forgiveness uh, as well uh, for infrastructure. Absolutely. So those things will happen. In fact, in fact, Tennessee State is a perfect example. Tennessee State is a state institution. Tennessee State has received more money from the federal government than they have received from the state of Tennessee, whose job is to fund them. 
So, so the reality is the federal government's job is not to fund HBCUs completely. Many of these are state institutions. The states are supposed to be doing it. Jackson State, state institution. South Carolina State, state. Prairie View A&M, state. Texas Southern, state. I can go on and on and on. And so, you know, when we talk about HBCUs, there are public HBCUs and private HBCUs. And so there's been a lot of money that have been flowing to HBCUs over the past 18 months. On the right. issue of voting, though, look, Biden has to be as aggressive in going after Manchin and Cinema and others in demanding a carve out of the filibuster for voting rights as they did when it came to the debt ceiling. Yeah, you know, Roland, uh, HBCUs have gotten more uh, basically from this administration than I think in one year than uh, previously any other administration. Um, with uh, voting rights, as well as the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, but especially voting rights. I think this week has been a turning point. Uh, I, I talked about it on my show uh, because, one, the information coming out of the January 6th committee showed how detailed and well-planned the attempted insurrection was. Two, there were two uh, important meetings that took place uh, this week with Democratic senators. One was on Thursday. Uh, a virtual meeting uh, Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris had with six uh, Democratic senators. And then earlier in the week, I think it was Wednesday, uh, civil rights leaders, Derek Johnson from the NAACP, met with uh, some key uh, Democratic senators, and, and Senator Kristen uh, uh, Sinema was one of them, even though she didn't say anything on the call. That meeting was organized by a Michigan uh, U.S. Senator, uh, Gary Peters. And uh, Senator— um, uh, Hassan from New Hampshire has changed her position and realizes, look, she was on the Rachel Maddow show yesterday, uh, that they have to pass this bill and they're going to have to make a change to the filibuster. So we have to keep pushing, hold Joe Biden accountable, but also somebody who whose name doesn't come up oftentimes in these conversations, Roland and the panel, is Senator Chuck Schumer, who controls the Senate. He's Senate Majority Leader. Mm. Pressure has to be put on Senator Chuck Schumer as what? Well. See, notice how Senator Chuck Schumer's name just oftentimes—I know you talk about him, Roland, but oftentimes in these conversations, his name is not even brought up that much. Senator Chuck Schumer controls the Senate. He's Senate Majority Leader. So it's pressure on Biden, continued pressure, pressure on Senator Chuck Schumer. But lastly, Roland, July 14, 2021, NBC News had an article, more than 150 companies back update to Voting Rights Act, PepsiCo. Macy's, Ikea, Nestle, Amazon, Target. Now, either these companies have gone out of business since July 2021, or they have amnesia, because I haven't heard a peep out of them when we have this intensification of voting rights. So we have to put pressure on these corporations as well. We have to continue this. We have to see this through. This is not the time to give up. And, and Matt, on that particular point, these major law firms supposedly were going to be dedicating resources uh, to fighting for voting rights, as uh, Michael said, these companies as well, and they've all been MIA. And this is what I've said to civil rights complaints like the NAACP. This is, not all, this is not just about having meetings. This is why you got to have public pressure. This is why the NAACP, with its 2,000 branches, should be throwing up pickets uh, and, and protests uh, in front of these corporations and these major law firms saying, where are you? Okay? It's, 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 look, it's, it, look. 
Black Voters Matter, they've been out there. Poor People's Campaign, Reverend William Barber, right. Reverend Liz Theo Harris, they've been out there. For these civil rights groups, look, stop having the inside meeting. you got to have the external pressure on this administration and the United States Senate. Stop accepting the rhetoric about a chicken in the pot, but when it comes time to it, taking a couple wings. Look, at the end of the day, if you say you're going to do these things, then you need to be held accountable. And I think Michael spoke right to it. Corporations especially need to have this pressure put on them because we know that they respond to the corporations far faster than they respond to us. So if the corporations say that they're going to do it, if we find a way to continue leveraging those corporations and these big law firms, then... I think consequentially it'll mean that there will be actual progress going forward. And we have to stay on that. You know, I think a lot of times, unfortunately, we buy some of that rhetoric and we forget about it down the road. I mean, not not three of you and many others who are very well informed, but the larger people see sound bites, they buy that and say, okay, they're fighting for me when they really aren't. So we need to stay on mm -hmm. them and make sure that uh, the promises that are being made are actually being fulfilled. All right, folks, uh, let's talk about uh, uh, some uh, some good news here. Uh, that is New York City is getting its first female police commissioner. Uh, the city's mayor-elect Eric Adams has chose uh, Keishant Sewell to lead the nation's largest police department. Uh, she Adams praised Sewell's career with over 25 years of experience in undercover assignments, overseeing gun suppression cases, hostage negotiations, and commanding de detective squads. Sewell is currently Nassau County's chief of detectives. She was promoted to the position in September 2020, becoming the first black woman to hold that role. She's not the first African-American lead the department, but she indeed is the first woman to lead the department. So congratulations uh, to her uh, on that pick. Also, President Biden has nominated uh, Sandra Thompson to be the permanent director of the Federal Housing and Finance um, Agency. If confirmed, she'll be the first woman in that particular role as well. Thompson is currently the acting director of the agency, which oversees Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae mortgage companies. She has extensive finance and government regulation background and also worked uh, at the FDIC. Vice President Kamala Harris is pushing a new initiative to eliminate lead from homes and other buildings. Uh, the Biden administration they pledge to remove all lead pipes in America in the next decade. Lead is built into our cities. It is laid under our roads and it is installed in our homes. And that is why we decided to launch this action plan here in this House of Labor. Because unions know how to do great things. And it is right there in the original motto of the AFL-CIO, labor conquers all. So we need your help to conquer these challenges. We need your help to make millions of homes, schools, and workplaces safe for everyone. And we need your help to make sure this is the beginning of the end for lead in America. So let us get to work. And 61 years after she was arrested at the age of 15 for refusing to give up her seat to a white woman, Claudette Colvin, uh, she has had her record expunged. Uh, that's right, a judge in Alabama expunged her record. She was arrested, of course, for, again, for refusing to give her seat to a white woman. Uh, she, her her run-in with the law happened nine months before Rosa Parks' case and was part of a Supreme Court case that ended busing segregation. Coven was sentenced to indefinite probation after her arrest and conviction. And so it's a better late than never, I say, Michael. 
Yeah, you know, I talked about this on my show last night, Roland. Claudette Colvin, she's a legend as well. She's more like an unsung hero. She was 15 years old. She refused to give up her seat. She had, uh, uh, she was charged. One of the charges was uh, assaulting a police officer. Now, um, what's really important to understand is that the, the Supreme Court case that you that you mentioned, Browder versus Gale. She was one of the plaintiffs, Aurelius Browder, Mary Louise Smith, Susan McDonald, and Claudette Colvin. The attorney was Fred Gray, who you've interviewed, Roland. They filed that lawsuit. It went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and that's what ended segregation on the buses. So she is a, really an unsung hero. She deserves more credit as well. No, no disrespect to Sister Rosa. Rosa deserves all the credit. She had to leave Montgomery, Alabama, because she was getting death threats. And uh, uh, Representative John Conyers gave her a, a, a job here in Detroit in, in his uh, congressional office. But uh, Claudette Colvin, uh, I'm glad this is for her. I'm glad th uh, this expungement happened. And hats off to the sister as well. She's an unsung hero. Uh, Matt Manning, your thoughts? I, I just think it's it's wonderful. It's far too late, uh, of course, and, and some of it is, is optics. But I'll say I had the mm -hmm. great pleasure of meeting Fred Gray when he came here a couple years ago. And he's, I mean, a titan. He's literally one of the mm -hmm. people that inspired me to become a lawyer and a civil rights lawyer at that. I mean, he was 24 years old defending Dr. King and, and those who were fighting for our rights, you know, with, with, with violence in their face. So I think it's a brilliant thing, um, and I'm, I'm glad for it. She joked that uh, she's no longer a juvenile delinquent at 82, so I appreciate <laughs> her humor about the situation. But but it, it's unfortunate insofar as, you know, it's another sign of, of the optics. A lot of times, you know, it has to be 66 years, an entire lifetime, before they expunge her, for this, uh, her crime for this injustice. I think that's problematic. But outside of that, I do think it's a good thing, and I'm happy for her. And I'm happy for the fact that, you know, Alabamans and, and the state d decided that this is something that needed to finally happen, because I think it's emblematic of showing, look, we're going to hold you to account to fix even past injustices. So I think there is a value in that. Final comment for Raji. Just real quick. I mean, I agree with both Brother Michael and, and Matt. Um, just It's just really sad that at, at this point, you know, it's hard to celebrate. 66 years, it's like, damn, man, like, it's just hard to celebrate. You can't even really, all you all you can do is just say okay. I mean that's it. There's there's no celebration. Our dear sister, eighty in her eighties. At this point, she's not a threat to anyone. You know, I mean, if it, it and you mean to tell me that the state of Alabama couldn't have done this twenty five years ago, forty thirty years ago, forty years ago. I mean, it's it's, and I'm with Matt on this. It's, it's a lot about the optics. We are talking about Alabama. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm just saying. And, and we're from Texas. You make an excellent point. That's, that's a great point, bro, Roland. But I'm just saying, it's 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 like it's like a pyrrhic victory at this point. It's just you, just like okay, I'm happy it's happening. I'm glad it's got done. But that woman had to carry that weight for pretty much damn near her whole life. So at this point, you know, in her golden years, may God be bless her with many, many years to go, but pretty much in her golden years, it's not going to really make a difference. This is not a win for Alabama. This is not a win. This is a slap in the face because it took you 66 damn years to do the right thing. So, I, you know, it's... All right, gentlemen. And I'm glad. I'm glad. Gentlemen, I appreciate.
Well, gentlemen, I appreciate it. That is it for us. We're going to be broadcasting live tomorrow from the Coca-Cola Fan Zone outside of Mercedes-Benz Stadium here in Atlanta uh, for the 2021 Cricket Wireless Celebration Bowl. Game time is at noon, so we'll be live uh, at 9 a.m. Eastern tomorrow right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered and the Black Star Network. Uh, Michael Faraji, Matt, thanks, thanks a bunch for joining us today. Uh, I want to thank all the folks uh, also here in Atlanta for making it possible for us to do what we do, what we did this week uh, with all of the coverage. And so we look forward uh, to uh, bringing you more sights and sounds of the Celebration Bowl tomorrow live right here on the Black Star Network. Thanks a bunch. Y'all take care. Holla! Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Are the old world, picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.